Hey, good morning with New Life. My name is TJ Lawson. I'm one of the volunteers here. I am excited to get to share with you this morning. Um, do you remember what it felt like when you got your first paycheck? Like you ripped open that envelope. Most of us are old enough that our first checks came in an envelope. It wasn't direct deposit. And you look at that number and you're just shocked. And I'm not talking about the number of how much the government took out in taxes, but the number of how much you took home, your pay. I remember being so excited. I worked for $3.15 an hour at minimum wage, and I had 120 some dollars that I could spend any way I wanted. And 15-year-old TJ was so excited, thinking about all the things that I could buy. That is an incredible feeling. That's part of what it's like to be young and to get a paycheck, is you feel rich. But now, if I got a paycheck for $125, I would not feel good. I'd feel panicked because I have bills that I have to pay. I have ex uh, people who have expectations of me. The, my student loans have got to get paid. My mortgage has got to get paid. I got utilities that need to stay on. My kids want to eat and wear clothes to school. And so I've got these responsibilities. And it's shocking, really, when that money begins to disappear. Um, and I remember as I grew up and I got my own cell phone bill, it was no big deal. And then I had to pay rent, and it was kind of a little bit of a big deal, and then food for myself. And then all of a sudden, my parents came and said, hey, you got one bill left you need to pay, and that's your auto insurance. And I remember being floored because my entire paycheck, I remember calling my mom at 21 years old and saying, what am I supposed to do? My whole paycheck is gone. Like I have nothing left. And she said, that's what it's like to be an adult. And I remember that feeling so distinctly of having all of this margin that I thought I used, that I used to have when it came to money just evaporate because of bills and expectations. That happens to all of us um, when it comes to money, but it's also happening to all of us when it comes to time. And that's really what I want us to think about this morning is how can we budget our time? What can we do with our time? Because time is money. That's what our culture tells us. Um, time is one of those things that we feel like we never have enough of. Um, time changes as we get older. I remember my kids come to me and they say, hey dad, um, you know, how long is it gonna be before we can go do this, go, go out to eat? How long is it gonna be until we can go to the park? And I said, oh, it's gonna be 20 minutes. And they're like, that long? And I'm sitting here thinking, 20 minutes is not enough time. Like I, could, I need to sit in this chair for 20 minutes, catch my breath for a moment, because time evaporates as you get older. Um, because your margins become more, because you have things pulling at your time budget. Um, you have work expectations that show up. You have friend expectations and relational expectations. You have family expectations. Your spouse and kids need your time. You also have some personal expectations. You know, going to the gym, taking time doing the hobbies that you love, reading, um, getting a chance to even sit down and play a video game with your friends in the evenings. Like those things all take time and they're all pulling at your schedule. And so how do you get more time? And then temptation is to add one more thing. I'm just gonna add one more thing to our budget. I'm gonna add one more thing to the day. But the problem with doing that is time disappears on you. It begins to put pressure on you and it begins to go away. And so this morning there's a principle from scripture that I think if we adopt it, it'll change things for you. And this is true whether you're a Christian or you're not. So if you're here this morning and you got talked into coming, talked into participating online, uh, you're listening to this talk later because somebody shared it with you, I, I wanna tell you, I think what we're gonna talk about here is true even if you don't believe. 
even if you're not sure who Jesus is, you don't, you, you're sure you don't believe in the Bible, I still think the principle we're going to talk about here is applicable to you. And I think if you adopt it and change how you live based on it, your life will be better. And that's one of the things we believe here at New Life, is by following Jesus, it will make your life better, and it will make you better at life. So let's kind of jump into this this morning. We're going to look at a psalm. A psalm is a poem, kind of a song from the Old Testament. There's a whole collection of them in this book called Psalms. And a psalm is, most of these are all written in ancient Hebrew, and then they're translated into English. And so there's a little bit of that disconnect between trying to translate poetry from one language to another and that, those cultural contexts. But I think as we work through this, you'll kind of see uh, what's, what's happening here. And this is one of the oldest psalms in the Old Testament. Um, it's often called the Psalm of Moses, uh, that Moses uh, is attributed to have written this psalm. And when we look at what he says, I want you to remember it in the context of Moses' life. So Moses lived this amazing life. So he was born uh, in slavery, but was found and raised in the palace of Pharaoh. So he's raised in wealth, raised in this huge, uh, with, this, with these huge uh, opulent uh, surroundings. But then, because of some of the things that he did, he had to flee and go into exile. And he found himself as a shepherd, raising sheep. And we sit back on this, this side of Moses' life and we can remember who he is and we can kind of see the whole course of it. But you got to remember for Moses, when he was a shepherd, that was it for him. He thought that was the end. Um, but we know it's not because he ends up getting called by God to go back into Egypt to speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go. There's plagues. There's the crossing of the Red Sea. And then Moses wanders for 40 years with God's people in the desert. 40 years in the wilderness, and he comes right up to the promised land, but he can't come in. And I think that's where he wrote this psalm. I don't have any proof of this. There's no historic context for this, but in my opinion, when you read through this, I think you see it in part of somebody who's at the end of their life looking back. Um, So here's what Moses says in Psalm 90, starting in verse 1. He says this, "'Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations.'" So he's talking about the God is with his people Israel, with the nation of Israel. And he goes on to say, Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. What he's saying is, God, when we look at the, the timeline of history, when the arrow goes this way and the arrow goes that way, you are God throughout. Even if we're just a little blip on the radar, you are throughout the whole of history. And he says, you turn, people, uh, you, turn, uh, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, mortals. So this is one of those that gets us a little bit. It's kind of a Gandalfy statement of the Old Testament. You shall not pass, return to dust, mortals. And it raises some questions for us, to be honest. Does God kill people? I don't know. Does God cause our lives to be cut short? I don't know. But what I think Moses is saying here, what I think is clear from the context, is what Moses is saying is our life is, or that we all feel that our time is in God's hands. Um, And we may not, you may reject that a little bit, especially if you're somebody who doesn't believe, who wouldn't identify as a Christian. You may say, I don't know if my time is in God's hands. Um, But I think it is. And I think you would even see it, especially if somebody in your life was diagnosed with a terminal illness. If somebody in your life uh, had that experience, most of us would pray, even if all our prayer consisted of was, God, why? Oh God, please. We're begging God for that context. We see that our time 
relies on him. And I think that's what Moses is trying to convey here because he goes on to say this. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day uh, that has just gone by or like the, uh, the watch in the night. You know, it's this short time period or a thousand years to you, God, because you're so much bigger than us. And he says, yet you sweep people away in the sleep, in the sleep of death. They are like new grass in the morning. Uh, they're like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by the evening it is dry and withered. He's saying that a day of our, our, our lives are like, are like a day to God. Um, that we can look at our lives and um, we, we can even think about it in context of a clock. So your whole life is, that, is, a, is a 24-hour day. Where are you at in that day? Um, the truth is, when I started looking at this, it was a little alarming for me. And because the average American lives to 78.5 years, that means I am literally halfway through life. I am at high noon right now as we speak, um, in the middle of this context. And so where are you at? And he said, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Again, this is hard to track with coming out of that Hebrew context. Um, it's hard for us to understand, but I think what Mo Moses is saying, I think what you should hear in this is he's saying God is so much bigger than us that we are to give him his due, give him his reverence. Um, and again, that's part of why I think you see this in the end of Moses' life. It's this reflecting on who God is. It's not the arrogance of you thinking that you have things entitled to you, but it's that humility that comes with age, that humility that comes with having failed and fallen short, um, but knowing that God is still there. And he goes on to say, this is verse 10, and I think this is powerful. I want you to hear this. He says, our days come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, and they quickly pass away, and we fly away. Um, he's saying, God, our days are short, and the ones we do have, they're filled with trouble. How many of you can look back at the last few months and say, days are filled with trouble, with anxiety, with fret, we don't know how things are going to unfold. None of us have ever navigated a pandemic before. None of us have ever had to navigate the situations we find ourselves in. And he's saying that our days are short. And this is what he says in verse 12, and I think it's key here. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And again, I want to hear, did you hear that again? Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That if we could number our days and look at it as a budget and begin to take stock, we would begin to recognize this truth, that we only have a limited amount of time, and how do we want to spend it? And it's hard for us to, to, to navigate this. Um, again, you're probably like me, and you look back at this quarantine period, and you can see, like, how did I spend my time? What am I spending my time on? Is it working? Is it worth it? Um, and that's part of what he's asking us to do. Uh, because the temptation for some of us is we can fall into that, per that task that we want to do things perfect. We just want to, quote, get it right. But the problem is the opposite of perfect is not finished. The opposite of perfect is unfinished. And again, the opposite of perfect is unfinished because that challenge for us is when we want to get things perfect, when we want to really nail it, we know what that takes. 
We know how much time you have to put in, how much energy you have to put in, and sometimes we just need to be able to handle things where they're at. Craig Rochelle has this principle, and I think it's huge. Um, Craig Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church, and he said that we just need to focus on Gitmo. So Gitmo, G-E-T-M-O, good enough to move on. Good enough to move on, that this is good enough. My dad was a professor growing up, and he used to tell his classes when they would come in, especially his freshman classes. He'd be like, some of you were great students in high school, and I'm so glad you're here. But you need to know that it's not that if you work hard, you pay attention, you do well on the tests, you will get a B in my class. You will do well. Some of you will put in that extra work to get an A. But some of you really need to ask yourselves, do I really want to put the work in to get an A plus? Do I want to do that level of work? And he would say, because I don't think it's worth it. Because you can put in all that extra work, but what does it really amount to? Does it get that much better? Is an A versus an A plus that big of a difference for you to put in all of that time? And so we've got to begin to ask ourselves, how can we balance our schedule? Because the truth is you can't just win at work because you're going to lose at home. And you can't just win at home because you're going to lose at work. And the truth is you can't just win at both of those because personally, you've got to invest in yourself. You've got to be able to enjoy the life that God has given you, to enjoy the hobbies that you have, to be able to work out and to pay attention to your own health. And so this is something you've got to begin to wrestle with. It's like, how can I do enough? I was talking to my brother Nathan. He is expecting number seven. That is seven children. He's younger than me, mind you, and he's got seven kids now. And one of the things he said is, he said, one of the things big families know that small families don't is that you just can't be everything to your kids. And you shouldn't even try. You should be there as your parent. You should be there to care for them, to empower them. But sometimes you need other adults. You need the other kids to help mentor your kids. That you can't be everything. And it's not, you were never meant to be. And so for some of you as parents, you need to hear that today. That you can't be all the things to your kids. You can't be all the things to your coworkers. And I'm going to tell you this truth even now. You can't be all the things to your spouse. Your spouse needs friends. They need relationships apart from just the family. And so you have to begin to find ways to invest and to budget your time where you can win at all fronts. And the key to that is to know when you want to win and where. And so right now, in the context of this pandemic, my advice to you is to win at work and to win at home and to let the personal stuff take a little bit of a back seat. Once the kids get back into school this fall and we kind of find some normality, maybe then it's time to begin to win at work and to begin to win personally. But you've got to balance those things and figure out how it's going to work for you. How can I use the limited time I have now to maximize the life that God has given me? And I know we want to say, well, I'll just do more. I'll just do more. But that's like looking at your budget, looking at how much you make, looking at that $120 and being like, I could spend $120. but you don't have it. You're going to go into debt and eventually things are going to come back to bite you. And so you've got to budget the time that you've given, the time that you have. And so I want to leave you with four questions here. 
four questions for you to talk about. Um, you can jot these down, they'll be in the chat uh, here below. Um, but I'd love for you to talk to these, especially if you were married. Uh, this is something to talk about with your spouse. But if you've just got close friends, if you're single, uh, this is a conversation to have with somebody else uh, to begin to ask some of these hard questions. So here are the four questions. Uh, what I want to know is what do you, uh, what do you need to do um, more of in your life? So what do you need, what do you have, or what do you have in your life right now that you need to amp up? You need to raise the volume up a little bit. Um, so what is in your life that you need to do more of? What's in your life that you need to turn the volume down on a little bit? You've just got a little too much of that right now. You need to roll it back just a little bit. Um, if you're nine years old and you live in my house, Fortnite is the thing you need to roll back a little bit. Um, but for the rest of you, what is that in your context? Then there's two more questions, and these are probably the hard ones. What do you need to add to your schedule now that's not there? So if you're not taking personal time right now, if you're not investing in your health, you're not investing in yourself, you're not reading, you're not enjoying things, you're just running from thing to thing, frantically trying to please everybody else, maybe that's where you need to add something. So what in your life do you need to add? What in your life do you need to take away? What are you doing right now that just doesn't have a place anymore? Um, it's time to set that aside. And I think if you can answer those four questions in the context of people who care for you and who love you and want the best for you, you are going to find the life that God has called you to. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're after. It's a life that makes the most of the opportunities God's given us. And so that is where we sit. And again, today, I think if you find yourself outside the faith, if you find yourself as somebody who just doesn't identify, I would encourage you to even adopt these principles now because they'll begin to change how you live. They will change how you structure your life because we've got to find what God has given us to count the days we have, um, to number them well, and therefore to gain a heart of wisdom. I hope this has been helpful and encouraging for you. I want to take a moment, and I know it's weird to do this on video, but I want to pray for you specifically. Father God, I just thank you so much for folks who call New Life home, who've plugged in and engaged with us as a church body. God, I pray for the conversations that will come out of this. Um, God, the conversations, I pray that they're, they're seasoned with, with kindness and grace toward each other, but the truth that we need to hear because sometimes we don't want to slow down. Sometimes we just want to add one more thing to the schedule. Um, God, I pray that for me personally, I would take this to heart because this is not something I do well. God, I thank you most of all that you've sent Jesus, that he comes to show us the way, to show us who you created us to be, and that we find grace and forgiveness and salvation in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again, New Life.